I love underdogs. I love being one. 10 years ago, I'm in a liquor store saying I'm gonna buy the Jets. Nobody believes it. Oh, you were saying it back then? Oh, I've got, I've been saying it since I was in fourth grade. Oh my God. Well, you're really gonna do it then. Oh, so you, you like that it's that, like, you feel like the more, yeah. So, so, so I loved it when I was a DNF student and nobody could see it, but I knew. I loved it, I loved it. Even a lot, even six years ago when it looked like more that I was a loud mouth motivational speaker, like I liked it. I almost even think that a lot of times I sandbag myself. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I wanna help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Today on the show is Gary Vaynerchuk, better known as Gary V to everybody else. Huge following. This guy is like such an inspiration, is so direct, so down the barrel, has such confidence and is a major business mogul. He started off turning his parents' wine company from, I mean, he was like 22 years old, from a $3 million company, 12 years later, a $60 million company. And now he's created a giant business for himself that's so successful. (laughs) He wants to buy the Jets someday. So with the trajectory he's on, I'm sure that he will. One, because I believe in goals. And two is because he's He just seems to have it put together. We talked a lot about that and what makes him the man that he is today, what makes him the businessman that he is, and what makes him the boss that he is. There's so much to learn in this episode of just mindset and how to achieve greatness in life. And then also how to view it too, like, you know, letting go of attachments and doing things that make you happy and bring you joy and are really fun. And, you know, they just seem to work out usually then. Enjoy this episode. I believe that everyone should experience what better feels like. That's why I love Beam CBD. I'm an investor and I swear by Beam's products, which combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. Beam was founded by two former professional athletes, Matt and Kevin, and they just dropped a new product called Focus. It's a daily capsule that helps boost your focus all day long. So visit beamtlc.com and use the promo code PRETTYINTENSE for 15% off your next purchase. That's beamtlc.com. How are you, Gary? I'm well. How are you hanging in? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Quarantine's been... Uh, challenging everything is flipping upside down right i feel like what do you think the point of all this is like if you were to like pull back and look at the scenario of all the shit that's been going on what is really happening well i think um one society needed a little bit of humble pie you know that it's funny when you said that that's where my mind goes um i go into uh you know man i think that people really lost track over the last decade of like what's important and keeping up with the Joneses and how many followers do I have? And, you know, so I'm an optimist. Um, As you get to know me better, you're going to see it's really, it's what I call practical optimism. I'm not delusional, but I'm optimistic. And I think, you know, my brain goes into places like people got to reconnect with relationships or, you know, were home for a year with their child instead of being a working mom and feeling that guilt. And now they have this incredible time with the kid or, or, you know, 
someone's parent was destined to unfortunately, not because of COVID for other reasons, pass away and they got six quality months at the end, or they learned a new skill set, or realized, wait a minute, eating dinner at the dinner table is nice and we actually are gonna do this once a month, mm-hmm. let alone once a week or every day. So I, I think when I look at it, I think that it's, um, everyone's gonna spend all their time thinking about the negative. And I'm, I've been spending most of my time thinking, what are the post positives as we go into back to real life? And what does that even look like, work from home? I think, uh, I'll give you an example. I, my most anxious moments are when I'm in the office in New York, my child has a school function, a play, a sporting event, and I'm running out to be there just in the nick of time because I'm running this thousand person company and somebody grabs me and has something important and I'm like, no, no, I gotta go. And, and then in the whole 30 minute ride from Midtown to the Upper East Side to go to this thing, I'm anxious. Instead, I already talked to my admins. I'm like, wow, life is gonna be so cool post COVID. I'm gonna be able to leave an hour earlier instead of a half an hour earlier. I'll go to a Starbucks. I'm comfortable now doing a meeting on Zoom on my phone or, you know, or just doing like, and now I won't have to feel that feeling. And wow, why was I even feeling that feeling? I should have done this a long time ago. So like, it's the great, it's absolutely the great reset of our generation. And now I hope that people treat it meaningfully. And that doesn't undermine the carnage and the sadness and so much that has been going on. It's just that you either look forward or you don't. And, and so my great hope is that people have learned things about themselves and make meaningful adjustments, even if they're as small as what I just said about being in a coffee shop next to your kid's thing 30 minutes before it starts and doing work because you're busy like I am, but not having to like sweat the whole time in traffic if you're gonna be on time. What have you learned? You know, maybe from a business perspective, have what has changed or what will uh, change? What will definitely change is I, you know, I, I was born in the Soviet Union. I came here, it's a very rags to riches story. I grew up in a family business, liquor store business. I really blew it up. It was all team, it was all family, it was all best friends, it was all come to work, it's all put in the hours, you know. One thing I've always admired um, about you, we, we've never really gotten a jam, so I'm just going to go right into it because I love to tell people things I've observed. I loved people that actually knew you talking about your work ethic. Mm. And I think people, you know, people don't know, like people really underestimate work ethic. <laughs> you know, like, like, like my notes on you and preparing and getting yeah. ready and watching things. and Yeah, know. it's work ethic, right? And so... Um, I've always put that on a pedestal. You know, I think over the last decade, I think work ethic became the word hustle and then hustle got demonized a little bit with mental health and things Uh, of that nature. mm -hmm. And so I've been empathetic to that conversation and I've tried to use work ethic versus hustle more um, because because that word has not been manipulated yet into something Mm -hmm. negative. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, but I will tell you the biggest thing I've learned is work ethic is a human trait and whether the person's in the office or at home, they're gonna execute against that. And so the biggest thing I've learned is we are gonna be a much more work from home organization, my company and many others. Yeah. And that's gonna to lead to a higher quality of life for a lot of my employees. Yeah. Because they're, uh, let me pay, I like analogies and stories like I just told, so let me tell another one. I have a lot of young employees um, in their mid twenties into their early thirties, tons of weddings and things of that nature in their lives, friends. Mm-hmm. I think about my great employees who, really serious about their career. So they leave for the place Friday midday from the office. It's again, we're New York centric. We're in LA, London, Singapore. So big cities, they're rushing to the airport. 
they're stressed, they get in late Friday just in time for the rehearsal dinner, so they're tired. They, you know, they, they have the wedding, but the, the next Sunday morning they're stressed because they're gonna stay for the breakfast, but they gotta catch a flight because they have to be in the office on Monday. That same Sarah or Rick right now, now they leave Thursday morning, right, with their boyfriend. They get to work from the computer all day. Now they've got Thursday night to enjoy, maybe even with their boyfriend, just those two. Then the party comes in on Friday. They're working on Zoom on that Friday midday, but now they're calmly going to the rehearsal dinner, rested and enjoying Nashville or already. They have the nice wedding. Sunday, they can do the breakfast. They can even catch up with their old friends Sunday evening, and they fly back Monday morning, probably on Zoom on the, at the airport, maybe even on the, you know, on, the, on the plane as that infrastructure gets better. And then they can even come into the office Monday or finish that off Monday at their apartment, back in the office on Tuesday. That is a totally different quality experience of your friend's wedding than what I know I and many of my employees have, and many that listen now live on that weekend. And whether that's a family reunion, whether that's visiting your best friend that you desperately miss post-college for three years, whether that's a million other things, replace wedding with boys trip to, to sure. golf, you know, the Daytona 500, <laughs> you know, the Super Bowl, like every single thing that, that Sunday to Monday franticness, that Thursday, Friday to Saturday franticness, I think could be a totally different experience and become five day trips instead of two day trips that are much more healthy and equally productive at work. I think that's gonna be a societal game changer. Mm, I love that because to me, I'm hearing you talk about happy employees and happy employees tend to do better work and they tend to, well, happiness is contagious. It's also a workplace thing, whether you're on Zoom or whether you're next to somebody. Um, but there's another thing that you were talking about that you don't have as part of your, part of working for you is there's no such thing as sick days, right? Like you can take as many or, or, or work vacation days or anything. Like you can be gone as much as you want. And so I kind of feel like you're ahead of this curve. Like you're ahead of the COVID curve. Let me, let me, like, let me, give, let me give you another thing because we did it yeah. six years ago on limited vacation policy. We learned by year three, it wasn't working as well as I wanted. Huh. There was a lot of people that were scared to take vacation because they didn't, they, they are so structured. They're so used to school that they actually turned it into a fear thing and were taking less time. Really? Yes. So now we have a mandated <laughs> comma unlimited. I'm going to come work for you. <laughs> Thank you. I think, uh, I think um, it's really worked. I think what you see for everybody who's listening right now that has more than you know, hundred employees, it's like, whoa, that's a little crazy. Like what you'll learn is 2%, 3% will take advantage of it. And by the way, you have the information and you can decide to let them go or have meaningful combos. 50% uh, will kind of take that minimum of three weeks. They still need the structure. I don't believe you. I'm cynical. I'm scared. I'm fear-based. Mm. And then another, another 45% will go four, five, and six and really over-deliver in the other 45 weeks that they are in the office because of that incredible flexibility. Where does the fear come from? Why would, somebody, why would somebody not take, if they could do just as good of a job and get everything done and take their five-day wedding trips versus their two-day wedding trips, why the hell wouldn't they just do it? Parenting, DNA, circumstance, you know, Freud stuff, you know, a lot of humans are insecure. Oh, really? On some level? Of course. We all have fear and insecurities. Um, uh, 
the one that I most focus on is what your relationship is with judgment from other people. Yeah, to me, the thing I spend all my time on is when somebody says you're beautiful, do you take it to heart? When somebody says that you're smart, do you take it to heart? Mm -hmm. I think a lot about compliments because I think compliments lead to insecurities, believe it or not. I think it leads to- Getting them? Getting them and really overvaluing them early. Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is that becomes your affirmation so that when, when it switches on you and you start getting hate, mm -hmm. you are now in a framework of overvaluing feedback. And so you actually became susceptible to, to the negative, the hate, the feedback, because you overvalued the affirmation. And so I'm trying to parent, educate, manage, communicate through a place of like, try to find some sort of medium place, you know, you know, be, be humble when you're being complimented and be strong when you're getting pushed against. So if you were going to sit down and do a review, I don't know if you do those, or I don't know if you're going to sit, if you, you, you need to talk to somebody. What is your approach for the framework or the balance of delivering the news that you need to do? And maybe honestly, maybe it's a, one or the other, right? It could be giving them props for the kick-ass work that they've been doing in the, and, this is gonna, or this it is, could be the other side of it where you're like, look, you're a problem and you need to fix this. Like, how do you approach that from a balanced standpoint? Back to strengths and weaknesses. As a communicator mm -hmm. in public domain on a great podcast like this in front of 20,000 people on stage through the thousands of pieces of content I put out every day mm -hmm. and week and month, I'm unbelievably good at this. Candor, practical, but sweet, like kindness, but truth, right? And so I think I've resonated. Mm. As an operator, this has been a historical shortcoming of mine. I'm still working on this. In my 20s and 30s as a boss, positive feedback, I'm the greatest fucking cheerleader of all time. <laughs> I'm my mother. You know, I will, you open the door to somebody, you say thank you in a nice, I, I, you're a C player, but you, 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 you try, I will cheer you like a son of a bitch. Candor, like, hey, Danica, you know, you're like, you're struggling, like you're not good at this, the employees of this, I was atrocious at, believe it or not, because on Instagram and on podcast, I look like this great straight shooter, and I am, I am, when, it's, when I'm not talking to a human, when I'm talking about it to the macro, but on a human group level. Group versus alone. So in correct. a group. Killed. Have that. What's the difference? Tell me, how can that, what would you feel as a difference? I could see your face. And I don't like negativity or hurting someone's feelings. I, the compassion and empathy would take over too much. Yeah. And I think, you know, my dad was the other way. My, mo my mom and dad are po opposites on this. My dad really does not have empathy or compassion or sympathy he, for others. That's his own thing. You know, he, he's a great guy, but he doesn't know how to, he actually, he has it. He doesn't know how to communicate it. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. My mom is the other direction, like literally every single human's favorite person. So much of my charm and good stuff comes from that. But she, she like me, will hold in her actual feelings. Mm -hmm. I had the un fortunate and unfortunate aspect that layered on top of this, this human trait, I was a business operator from day one. So I could be 
sweet and affirmative and, and, and this positive energy, but I was required to fire. Otherwise my business would go out of business. And so what ended up happening, Danica, in my 20s into my early 30s, and I would argue that it was my younger brother, AJ, when we started working together at VaynerMedia 11 years ago when I was 33, he, he had much better ability to be candorous, and I got to see firsthand the value in it. And so for a long time in my career, and I would still argue that publicly I'm a 10 of 10 with balance of candor and kindness, and, and probably it's not as, some people are turned off by my cursing and a little bit too much alpha male. So I would even say like the candor probably resonates even more in social. And I think people that really dig in are like, oh, wait a minute, this guy's kind of like sweet. And they don't see it at first. Sometimes they have to really get into my content. I'm sure as you were doing, I saw the notes, as you were probably doing the homework, you're like, oh, he's got a lot of soft, like you start hearing oh, yeah. more of yeah, that stuff. Um, but in, in real life, as a CEO, I'm still probably a 6.5 out of 10, which is a far cry from a one out of 10 that I was 15 years ago. I still struggle more with telling a direct report, senior executive, you stink, or I don't like what you're doing. Um, and I need to continue to get better at that. I value it. Mm -hmm. I, I hate that it's, you know, I hate. I, I wish I continue to work at getting better at it. Um, so to answer your question, a 10 out of 10 if it's positive stuff. I, I seek people out to give them positive feelings. Mm, that's wonderful. When I'm doing reviews or having a real conversation, I still am anxious an hour before I have to deliver bad news to that person. I feel like every one of your employees should literally like listen to that little clip and hear how much, although I'm sure that you, they can feel how much you care, which is why you've grown into this gigantic media company and are so successful. But it leads me to this thought about, I've always felt like this, that there's two kinds of people, two kinds of bosses. There's one that works out of fear and one that works out of love. I if I'm going to say this, I, I feel like obviously we're pulling deep, deep polarities of, yeah. of being yeah. a boss, but I like, I'm just a fan of compliment. I feel like you balance that pretty well. Like you're extremely down the barrel, but I can feel, which again, I don't know you. I can feel that it's because you believe in them. It's because you want to see them succeed. And so I, you know, I think the world is abundant. I don't think I feel, you know, also talent plays into this. I, I am talented at business and I've always been even as a literally like a six year old child. So I don't, I have this incredible relationship with employees, which is I don't need anything from them. Mm -hmm. And I, and to your point, I, I have this analogy that is absolutely love and fear the way you have it. Mm -hmm. I, I call it, you can, there's two ways to build the biggest building in town. One, just build the biggest building in town. The other is tear down everybody else's building. And I find that deeply insecure people tend to also find ways to success because they're just like, they use that energy. However, they as leaders manifest into one of those individuals that tears down everybody else. Wow. So draw that out, Traje like do a trajectory mm -hmm. on each boss. Cause I'm sure people listening are like, dude, I definitely have a boss that works out of fear. Like I do not yeah. want to disappoint. <laughs> that, yeah. That boss. Or the one out of love, which there's pitfalls yeah. for that. They are. They're absolutely. I mean, the biggest negative feedback I get when I get third party anonymous reviews as a boss is that I don't fire people fast enough. So like, that's 
loving too much, right? Like I'll go into therapist mode instead of boss mode. And then the problem is that person's not performing. So the other A players are frustrated by that. Yeah. And I respect that. I I believe that is a flaw, but it's a flaw I'd rather have than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, so unpack it. It's simple. It is absolutely predicated on how one was parented, the DNA they were gifted and where they grew up. This is well-documented. And I think the bosses that rule with fear, were raised in fear, are scared themselves. I think that leadership is the mirror of what's in someone's soul. And so that's how I see it. I mean, it's just so cliche. I, I struggle very little with auditing somebody pretty quickly once I get to actually spend time with them. Hmm. It's all quite basic. Uh, you know, the circumstances are always different. Sexual abuse as a child, you know, uh, a mom that was insecure, you know, uh, you know, there's a million different things and, and people take adversity and, you know, one of the tale, you know, we have a lot of people that grew up with tough parenting, but their DNA, they actually got from the grandma or the grand, the great aunt. And so they actually looked at that adversity and went the other way, mm-hmm. you know, people fall into different camps here. So, you know, I try to train up my leaders. What I do is I try to make my leaders feel safe and then that in turn, usually manifests in them making their people feel safe. But the world, you know, is absolutely based on leadership. Like everything stems from the top. You've been on, you know, on teams. Obviously your, the sport you grew up in has some individuality and has some teams dynamics. It's unique in that way, but you've seen it firsthand. You've been on enough different scenarios where even the brands you've worked with, like it's just black and white. This is absolute, life is about casting. It is the humans in charge that trickle down. Um, And I see it in sports, which I have a lot of passion for. And I see it in business where I have a lot of passion for. I see it in parenting, which I have a lot of passion for. So it's the same game everywhere. Your dad, what would you, what do you try and teach your kids that you think will put them in? Accountability. Accountability. I think the biggest fear I have is my kids are much more fortunate than I was. So ramifications, accountability. The, The biggest thing is kindness. The number one thing I think about is teaching kindness. I, I, I'm very excited. I actually know, I can see it. This is what I'm good at. That kindness is starting to be understood as a strength. And I think that, um, you hear a lot of people saying like, well, I stopped being kind when I was getting walked all over. And it makes me laugh because I've never, I, I do not, I'm not a pushover. And I'm kind. I think that people blend things together. For example, I have a dear friend who's like, Gary, nice guys finished last, this and that. And we had a dinner once and I really broke it down for him over four hours. It was the one conversation. And I said, friend, because I don't want to call him out. I said, friend, now that we've talked about this for two hours, let's get to the truth. The truth is you're not being kind in the examples you gave me. You're being manipulative. You're, you're letting somebody walk all over you as a trap to get what you actually want. And oh, by the way, the things you just described of being walked all over, you actually don't value those things. It's kind of like when people tweet at me when I'm like, I'm coming to Nashville to give a talk and I'll get a bunch of people and be like, yeah, I wanna do you a favor. Let me give you a ride to your hotel. You don't wanna give me a ride. You wanna pick me up and you wanna ask me questions for 40 minutes, which I'm, by the way, I am flattered to no end it's just that I'm working 18 hours a day and then taking a flight. I just need a moment to catch up with my family and maybe rest. Yeah. 
So what I said to this friend, I said, you're not being walked all over. You're manipulating. You're trying to get something out of that person. You're letting them quote unquote walk all over you because you're planning on asking for something. And oh, by the way, you're letting them walk all over you by giving them something that they're not even asking for. And then you're gonna ask for something by giving something that the person didn't even ask for. And Dinika, I think, you know, you know, without knowing you, but just knowing of you and knowing the life you lived, it's just impossible that you haven't navigated your point in your life now where you've felt from the other side people trying to give you something you're not asking for with 100% intent for asking for something after the fact. Mm. And that's not being walked all over by Danica Patrick. That's trying to manipulate a situation for your own self wants. That's very different than being kind Mm. and not being a pushover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've experienced tons of times where people, let me help you out. Let me do this. And you're like, yeah, so that you can ask for something later that's way bigger. (laughs) That's it. I'm like, I'll pay for everything along the way. That's it. Let's just keep it clean. Have you been taking advantage? I mean, like, do you, can you think back and like, are there times? No, because you could see the way I, no, because you could see the way I articulate. I'm so kind of like clean. My ability to communicate is my great strength. So when I see it brewing and I actually like the person, I'll make like a joke. I'll be like, okay, Carl, we're going to do this thing, but I'm just being really upfront with you, buddy. In six months, when you ask me to invest in your startup, you know that's not going to happen because your startup sucks. And then ha ha ha. And then what happens is eight out of 10 times that person will retreat. All of a sudden, this miraculous thing they wanted to give me is gone. Two out of 10 times, I find someone like myself, which lives completely on karma, actually enjoys the process of giving, subconsciously and consciously knows something good might happen, but is not crippled if something good doesn't happen. Mm, They're not attached. They're not attached. That's actually a good place to go. I have this, I have this syndrome a little bit. I have a little bit of destination syndrome, a little attachment to outcomes and how things go. Um, I would say, I feel like a lot of people are sort of like people that either look in the past or they look in the future. Present's pretty hard, but we all linger in there here and there, but we, but I feel like people tend to be future or past thinkers and I'm a future thinker, but so, which is a great thing because I manifest like crazy, but I, but I get a little attached at times to outcomes. It's so funny. We are so similar, except for one thing. I have no attachment to outcomes. Even when I talk about my dream of buying the New York Jets, I always try to clarify to people, I just like trying to buy the New York Jets. I've heard you say that. I'm attached to the process. Yes. The joy's in the journey for it's sure. So, man, God, I, gosh, I wish there was a way to translate chemicals in your body in a moment to the audience. When I tell you the warmth, like that like delicious, happy feeling that I just felt, thinking about the fact that I'm 44 and I'm going to have 40 years to really try to put this puzzle together, it's just amazing. I will, have no, I will not be sad in any shape or form if I'm unable to achieve this professional goal because the happiness of trying, the chase is everything. It's gotta be a little more to that, a little more. Could the chase be because you know that having a lofty goal of buying a billion dollar you know, sports team means that you're gonna have to get to that point. So you're like, I can't wait to see what happens from now until then because you know, I think, if you I only think, get halfway I'll, there I'll, and then, you know. I'll, I'll give you my best answer. No, because when I tell you my gives a fucks for money is zero, no. But I will tell you this, and I'm going to say it in a very weird way. 
The only time I rooted for Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant, rest his soul, was when nobody else did. I loved being an underdog. I love underdogs. I love being one. The, and I think that what I've been able to figure out in the last three or four years, it, and it's pretty recent, is like, right, if I make this insane goal, you know, one of the worst things that's going on with me is that things are going well professionally and people are starting, you know, 10 years ago, I'm in a liquor store saying I'm going to buy the Jets. Nobody believes oh, it. You were saying it back then? Oh, I've got, I've been saying it since I was in fourth grade. Oh my God. Well, you're really going to do it then. Oh, so you, you like that it's that, like, you yeah. feel like the more, oh, yeah. So, so, so I loved it when I was a DNF student and nobody could see it, but I knew. I loved it, I loved it. Even, in la- even six years ago when it looked like more that I was a loud mouth motivational speaker, like I liked it. I almost even think that a lot of times I sandbag myself a little bit to keep the game over the, but you know, a couple of weeks ago I sold, con- you know, Empathy Wines to Consolation. It was a By large- By the way, congratulations. Thank you. I, was- I, I'm in the wine business, so I just know how big Constellation Brands is. And that's just, and obviously then coming from the background of being of a kid and turning, a, you know, your parents' company. Literally, literally, company. look, goosebumps, like as yeah. a 14 year old Constellation, you know, so yeah. So, you know, it's so fun to talk to somebody that's accomplished such unique things because without knowing everything, cause I don't, you know, I don't know this part about you, but I also am similar. I'm like, there's no way she did what she did without dreaming those dreams early on. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. Cause there's so much that goes into getting there. Um, so for me, I love being an underdog. Um, I resonate with underdogs. I only like up, I, unless the person plays for my favorite team and they're an all time player, I usually hate them because I don't like that they're on another team. I only like them when they're washed up, you know, like, like I only can root for them when they're washed up back to like, you know, when Tiger was hurt or when Kobe was in his last season. Michael came back. Michael Jordan came back. <laughs> He's different because I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I've hated Michael Jordan my whole life and still do to this second. Tom Brady and Michael because of the Jets and Knicks will never get my love as a fan. But nonetheless, I think, I love, I love your, your interview style, by the way. I like that you pushed on what's behind that. So I wanna give you my cleanest answer. My cleanest answer, I think, is my deep love for the underdog. Mm-hmm. I associate so deep with it. Mm. There's nothing more delicious. Do you feel like it. that guy? Do you feel like that guy? 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, I was, right? I was, you know, I was a terrible student. You know, for, I mean, look, I, I'm 44, I was born in, Russia, the Soviet Union. I was born in Belarus, but it was known as Russia slash USSR. When I'm in second, third, fourth grade, we're the enemy. Friends, friends, and right. definitely non-friends pick on me, raz me. Um, I, I am not physically gifted, so I was after sixth grade where because I have great hand-eye coordination. So you know, I'm up for any of those kind of games with anybody. But once true physical stature became a variable, that went away, I was an atrocious student. So here I am by 13, 12, 11, and the world, teachers, coaches, other friends, moms, the world has pegged me into losing player. Mm -hmm. And I went into a very good, this is where my mom comes in parenting. My mom on the flip side in my four walls in my home, I'm the greatest. Mm -hmm. 
With, but with circumstances. So she didn't delusion me like a lot of kids now. Like I'm the greatest, but when I got a bad grade, I got grounded. I'm the greatest, but if God forbid, and it wasn't in my ethos, but if I was disrespectful, she'd punch me in the face, Russia style. Like, like so there was, but I was the greatest. Like kind, everything that I am, like literally Gary V is the manifestation of Tamara Vaynerchuk. Like Gary V, the character on social is 100%. And by the way, for clarity to this audience, when I say the character on social, that is me, that is fully me. I don't play something on social. It's that when I'm in a public setting or when the camera's on, yeah. I'm sure everybody will recognize this. You're a different version of yourself when you're with your loved ones, when you're at work. We have eight versions of ourselves. That guy is my mom's doing. Like positive reinforcement, work ethic, kindness. Um, so, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think that, I really want to continue to be underestimated because the I told you so, even though extremely vain and quite literally not that interesting. It's so funny. We're talking such heady, nice things. It's, it's a very kind of trite, kind of, it's not a very attractive trait, but, I'm, but you're putting me in a very comfortable, authentic place here. I love proving the system wrong. I love it. I love it. I like, you don't think, I, like, you know who I would have, you know why I love Novak Djokovic, and I, mm. I, I met him recently during COVID. We got became friendly, and I said I love him because I love when he's center court Wimbledon finals and he's playing Roger Federer, and nobody is cheering for him. And for you, <laughs> except for me and the people that are listening right now that are wired like us. Yeah, and he'll have a yeah. shot inevitably in those matches. He'll have a shot. And he does this thing. This is literally, I couldn't wait. We got on Zoom together for the best time. And I, I, it took me, I, I was like, let me save this to the end. Let's get to know each other. But within the first five minutes, I was too excited. And I painted him this whole scenario. I said, Novak, you are literally one of my favorite athletes in the world for a very narrow, very narrow thing. It's when you're playing Roger Federer at Wimbledon center court, not only everybody there, but the whole world is rooting for Roger. And you'll do some ridiculous shot against an impossible shot from Roger to begin with. And you'll just take a step back and look at everybody. And I know what you're doing, which is fuck you. Ew, totally. And when totally. he it's does like, that, kind of it, look like what you say now. And, and honestly, the silence that, is golden. You know, you're such a, you know, you know, you're such a competitor because you just couldn't get to Like, I don't know what your version is. Mm. I don't know what your friend's versions are but I fucking know it and I love it. I live for it. Yeah, I'm an, I love the underdog too, but like not everyone is there. So I guess like from a fundament, from a standpoint of accomplishing great things, yes. like how do you, right? How the hell do you set the world on fire in business and accomplish great things? And, you know, whether it be money or, you know, accumulating things or good people or whatever, like, what does it take, right? You're motivated by being the underdog. And I guess essentially without those words saying, proving people wrong, but I, I mean, people have told me that forever. And I wouldn't say that I like wanted to prove people wrong as much as I wanted to show them, show them who I was. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great, you know, and honestly, same thing, right? Like, like, honestly, like to me, sometimes in life on great shows like this, we get into semantics. Yeah. There's a, we are humans and we want to communicate. It's, yeah. it's, you know, 
I want to prove them wrong and yet I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me. So there's a contradiction there. It's balancing all these energies. I think, let me throw something out there that I think is practical. I believe that the biggest missing ingredient for a stunning percentage of the people listening right now is patience. I would, you know, when I hear you ask that question, you know, uh, my brain likes to go fast. And the first thing right away was patience. You know, I was, I think I'm going to be one of the great entrepreneurs of all time. And at 29 years old, I'm in my dad's liquor store, ringing people up at the register and carrying boxes to their car during the holidays because we're busy. That level of patience and humility to know who you are. And at 29, when society's like, you're almost 30, have you got your life figured out? All this shit that the kids are stressed about. I do think patience was one of my secret sauces. Um, and I think it's something that people could put on a post-it and start to try to practice. Just like getting into better health, you know, you've got to do actions. I think the same thing with mental strength. You need to start practicing things. And you need to, you know, I think when people are goal-oriented, I always get scared when they put a time frame on it. Now, athletes, I have to be empathetic for, right? You know, because if you want to be, uh, you know, a golfer or a quarterback or, or a tennis player, like, it's kind of hard to say I'm going to be the best in the world at 44. There is some physical truths. I was lucky that my craft, I could be 69 when I'm at the pinnacle of my business acumen and career. So, you know, I want to be very um, empathetic that there are some physical things that go along with some people's hopes, wants, and dreams. But I think ultimately all of us really want to be happy. And it's, it's super cliche. Like, I, I think we all want to be happy. I think we have to be careful to not be happy with a layer of delusion. Like the world is real. There's consequences. You have to put in work. But I do think patience is a big one. I also think- Did you learn in, that? Did you learn that? No, no, I think that, out. no, I got lucky with that one. And when I say lucky, the DNA you've been gifted with has, I did not tell my parents to have sex at the moment they did to make me. So I do think I was gifted, fortunate, that patience felt like a real- foundational thing for me, but I do think it came from the underdog thing a little bit, right? Like if the world tells you you sucks, you almost have to lean into like, I'm going to show you, which means like you got to be in to patience a little bit. I think the other I thing, if you think about go it, ahead, please. everybody, everybody starts as an underdog a little bit at the beginning. Well, you know what? Everybody. I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Let me explain what I mean by that. I do think very, this is why I have a very funny argument. So I came up very humbly. So I have a lot of friends who live extremely simplistic, financially challenging lives who are my dear friends. And so I'm a great, I'm very grateful for the mix. You know, I, I get invited to do something like this with you, which is really cool. And I, and I mean that, and I get to like my, some of my best friends literally make $34,000 a year are wildly happy and that's their life. And I, I'm, I'm grounded in a lot of arenas. Mm -hmm. They always get mad when I go here. Like, I'm already sure I'm going to get a friend. Uh, uh, I'll give the initials. RT, I know you're about to text me if you listen to this, and you will. When I talk about being deeply compassionate to kids that come from high net worth or famous parents, you know, I would argue that a child, I'm trying to think of like a good power, like, I don't know if, if Blue Ivy or, you know, I don't know if Beyonce and Jay-Z's child starts as an underdog. And I think that a lot of people, and obviously that's an extreme version. Let's just go to the cliche, high net worth, unbelievably capable mother and father, like wonderful, like that child 
is not starting from underdog. And I actually think it's led to deep unhappiness for the stunning majority of those children. Mm. I think too much, too soon, and what I would call a no-win situation for a lot of kids puts them in a very sad place. And I would argue that that's, like, I would never trade my life with my children's life. I mean that. And that's difficult to say, but I'm telling you the truth. I don't, I, you know, so, you know, and so of course, to everybody's listening, that's why a lot of my friends who <laughs> grew up crappy and are, you know, like, ah, oh, well, guess what? I'll take that, you know, and I get it. I'm empathetic to it. But I think the older you get, the wiser you get, the more exposed to real life you get, the more you realize what money's relationship is with human beings. And it's like, there's a lot of great things. Money does absolutely create freedom in a lot of ways. But someone who's not constrained to money actually has the most freedom. And so, you know, I think- There is nothing, everything is possible. (laughs) It's super real. And Danica, you know this, because I'm sure just knowing a little enough, like just projecting what, you've gone through in your life, you know, you've seen other successful people who get trapped in their lifestyle and are actually like would have been better off being half as successful because it would have right. been some flexibility. They start spending money. Like, well, because up- it's like kind of good, right? Like uh, uh, having privilege or having things that are like pretty good, it kind of stunts your growth in a way that you settle almost. That's right. It becomes a jail for a lot of people like keep keeping up with the the one that kills me is keeping up with the joneses when i go to like a dinner party of eight couples and i can tell one person is insecure of their status i immediately change the entire direction of the dinner the whole night and then literally two out of four times because i'm pretty brave that way we'll reach out to that person and try to build a friendship singularly to try to get them to never compare themselves again yeah yeah it's my great passion with my content. What, Don't, you know, you're talking about passion, but, and you're talking about money, you're talking about, you know, achieving things, but I kind of wonder, you know, there's the underdog thing, but I don't know. Is there something a little bigger that you feel like you have a purpose for? Boy, you're doing a good job. Um, I don't want to lie. And I hate, you know, I'm really good at answering questions. So I hate that you're asking me, because it's gonna take me to a little bit of a audacious place. But there has not been many days I've lived my life that I didn't know that I had something. Special whether, in you or had? Yeah, what do yeah you mean? special in me. Now- It's okay to say that. You have accomplished so. things. I, you, have a, you have room to say that about yourself. Look, I think everybody, sure. you know, I said it, good news. When I didn't have room to say it, when I was 20, I would say it to my friends back then too. Now, what I don't know and I really don't know, is did my mother completely create that? Like was in her affirmation and parenting style, we're so close. My mom was 20 when she had me. We immigrated to America together. My dad worked every minute, you know, that we got here to make it. So like my mom and mine relationship is, I'm borderline getting emotional right now. It's deep as fuck. And then that person's telling you, you are the fucking best. But again, I'm going to say it again because I know a lot of parents are listening, but didn't let me go into delusion because I see a lot of kids go there. Like when I lost, I lost. Mm-hmm. I remember coming up with this. I was really good at baseball again before, you know, you needed to have power took over. And, <laughs> you know, and I remember trying to come up with an excuse about the sun hitting my eye when John Longo, 
John Longo in Edison, New Jersey in the 80s, if anybody knows that character, give him a shout out. He was a really quality pitcher. And I was like hitting everything back then. And I, he really struck me out like t- three times in this one game. And I remember getting in the car and trying to make an excuse about the sun hitting my eyes. And I don't even think I got to the word eyes when my mom in Russian sternly to a nine-year-old me said, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. So like this, so, so I'm just so great. I, what you're hearing everybody is a 45 minute manifestation of deep gratitude to circumstances and my parents. But yes, I've always felt like I could fucking change the world. I've absolutely felt it. And in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, the internet was destined to come along when I was here. Had this not existed, I would have never made the impact that I've made because I also want to operate businesses and I love my family and I didn't want, like, it's just perfect timing for me. And, um, and I have a lot of gratitude that I want to spread. I've been gifted with this incredible ability to communicate mm-hmm. at the right time in the right way. And uh, yeah, I feel like I have a humongous purpose. I want, I want every person that ever meets me to come to my funeral because I made such a significant impact on them. To inspire them. I have always said, you can find old videos of me of like, I live my life completely based on one mission. How many people are coming to my funeral? And the reason I say that is the following. I'm now 44 and I know what funerals I was willing to miss for work or family. And that is because even though that person was a good business associate or something else, they didn't pierce my soul. And I know the couple of weird ones that people were confused why I quote unquote maybe went, hey, uh, Gary, wait, even my mom, like, I didn't know you were that close to X, Y, and Z. It's because a singular conversation or moment did pierce my soul. And so I want to be so valuable to people. Um, and, and, I, and I believe that when I die, hopefully in my late 90s or early 100s with advancements of medicine, that when 77-year-old Ricky in Arizona hears that, that he's going to schlep to New York or New Jersey and, and, uh, and come to that funeral. I mean that. That's how I want to live my life. And I, and, and I, I think it depends. Well, if you're listening to this on the other side, this is what's always fascinating about the way I communicate to me about me. I always wonder what the other person, you know, if you're cynical, that just came off audacious. If you're not cynical, you think about that statement, you say, wow, that's kind of neat. Because this is how I feel about people that have similar sentiment. That's nice. You, you know, you want to be nice and good so that people come. And so that's how I think about my life. I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Um, I actually did this some, I, some while back, maybe within the last year, something came up about writing your own eulogy. And so I did it because wow. I wanted to reverse engineer my life to how I should wow. live now based Powerful. on how I want to be remembered. And so take a stab at your eulogy. Can you do that? I can. And you know where I just went? Uh, as I looked out beyond, if you're watching, you just saw me look out. the, I was listening. I'm a big fan of doing very big. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I think people pontificate and they, they are insecure. So they make up things like, Oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's why I'm not doing it, which is just code for I'm scared about what people are going to think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And I was, I, I never heard of anybody writing their own that hasn't hit my radar. I'm sure in passing, but it never struck me like you were just talking. And the reason I just looked away was, oh, I do that every day. I, it's so funny you just said that. I realized, right, just like so much of what makes me successful professionally, I don't put it pen to paper, but I talk about it with myself on a daily basis. That's why what I just ranted about five minutes ago is what I was ranting about. It is so top of mind for me that my great dream, uh, you know, that I think about admiration. I think about what people say. I care about my reputation. I, I treat everybody in a nice way. It's, it's my framework. I write it every day in my mind. It's, it's my, there's two things I do pretty consistently. How do I be so nice and good that this is good? And what would happen if somebody that I love died today? I do that almost every day. Those two thoughts run through my mind every single day. The reason the second one happens is because I think it leads to my perspective. If mm. I lost all my businesses, I always say to myself, what if I was on the, I used to do this in my 20s. I did this a lot actually. If I was on the cover of Time Magazine, a man of the year, and I bought the Jets that day. But an hour later, somebody called me and said my sister was in a traffic accident and died. What would happen? And the answer is, the other two things would matter so little, it's not even in the same fucking universe. Yeah. So why don't I live my life that way? And what that did was it created a framework where the pressures of what I do professionally, I just don't get that upset about business. It's like a game, huh? It's like a game. And I'm so like good at, like I'm good at feeling so I can really go there. Like so I can really, it's super weird how powerful the brain is. Sometimes I can really feel the gut punch of my sister calling me hysterically crying, mom's dead. Like, and it, like, like to the point where I'm like crying on, like, it, like literally misting in an airport because I'm thinking that way. It is my, it is my great prescription to happiness, perspective of what actually matters. Mm. And I, and I think it, it's a nice tie back to kind of how I opened this rant, this combo, right? Mm-hmm. I hope people have used COVID to reframe. You talk, you just said the power of the mind. And then you said you feel it in your body. And so I go down a lot of these roads about quantum physics and consciousness and how all this stuff works, creating your reality. And so then when you layer in your mom's strong subconscious programming of you are great you made a mistake or try harder or i'm so proud of you you can do this like the programming subconsciously which shoot people listen to subconscious programming while we while they sleep i have before like i mean it's incredibly powerful but i think of this um i think of this mind this this when you think something then you feel in response to the thinking and then that that creates a hormone and then the subconscious gets really good at looping that. And you have created like a really good system where you loop the right hormones that keep you in a positive place. 100%. But not everyone does. How, How, like you must see this in the workplace. You must see this with people. And do you have advice for people that you see potential in, but then you look at them and you're like, yeah. Okay. So you're bringing yourself down here and you're, you're cheating yourself of what you could accomplish. Is there a mission you send them on to go, here's your rehab? Yes. And uh, 
but I, by being an A and uh, by being, excuse me, a DNF student, um, I'm in a place where I'm not structured enough to put them into that process. I put it into an osmosis process. So when I, when I see them, I surround them with the human beings that are good at the thing. So I'm off of my talents or, and shortcomings. I want everybody to hear this. I'm not going to create training programs. Like I don't like the, the, the upper, like I love ops, but I don't like, um, kind of like, do like, I don't like the standard things, right? Like companies, like what they do. And, and not my framework to that question is I see it much more in companies with friendships in real life. I just lean into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I have such great relationships. I like to try to really lean in. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that's why I'm doing work too. Instead of creating like, Oh, go to these classes in, in the middle of the day, or we're going to bring in this training program. I think a lot of people do things. It's kind of like diversity and inclusion. They do things to check the box optically, but they don't actually give a fuck. And for me, employees, you mean the employee? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for me, with the employees, what I try to do is I try to actually make their day-to-day staffing be around individuals that are winning that game. And I'll go into a conversation or two with that employee and say, "Look, I'm seeing this, and I think you can win this game. And by the way, you should spend time with Kaylin or Nick or Lisa B. You know, and and um, mm. that's how I go about it. More on a the answer is 100. It's a people game to me." more than like read this book mm. or take this course. Mm. You, you set them up for success. Yep. And set them up for success. So how do you know if you're in the right job or the wrong job? I feel like there's probably millions of people out there that would listen and be like, you know, oh, I want to go work for Gary. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but they, they're probably thinking like, I'm not super inspired, but I kind of, I like what I'm doing. I don't know. I, I, it all comes down to what's your relationship with Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So here's my point of view on your question. How much do you hate Monday morning? Number two, do you use the term hump day? Do you like think about it? Like, does it actually hit your radar? Uh, And then Friday, do you live for it? Because if you live for Friday, because you can't wait for Saturday and Sunday, you're vulnerable. Now, of course you should be pumped. I'm pumped for Friday, but I also love Monday. And I don't even... Like I've never thought about Wednesday in hump day terminal. I never even know it's Wednesday. It's usually Tuesday or Thursday or, you know, like I'm too much enjoying it. So I think it's, I think the answer to your question is what's going on with your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. What is the relationship with Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Wow. What a really good, simple guideline. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I like it. Right. I feel like I'm always looking for an employee it's so hard because, you know, you have hundreds of them, but uh, I have just a couple and I like to call them people that work with me. Um, But I, I always say that I want someone that works with me that doesn't have a clock and a day at all on there. So as somebody who also has a small team around him as well, above and beyond, that's a 100% on you thing. That it's my responsibility to make them like that? 100 not even 99. That's exactly right. Let me explain. Cause I'm excited right now. I think I might be able to like really help. Yeah. Um, when you have a small team and you're someone like you, there's an ungodly amount of people that would love to be your admin project manager, creative, like, like a pretty substantial list, which is huge, mm-hmm. which, 
And the reason, and by the way, if you were somebody less known, I wouldn't say it's 100% on you. But with you, I am. Let me explain why. The pool of humans that would take this job is extraordinarily high. What that means is you're actually going to be able to find somebody DNA-wise. So the only variable to you getting what you want is your management style. The management style for someone like that is you need to make them feel equally that they never have to be on the clock or they're allowed to always be on the clock. If you talk to D-Rock or Andy Kay or Tyler, some of my inner circle, Alex Raffington, Alex is amazing. Like, you know, if, if you talk to them, I guarantee that they would say, we're always on, but if I needed to take four months off, I know I can have it and there'd be no ramifications. Mm-hmm. In that sentence is the key. They know they can go 13 hours hard. They know they, if they text me and say, hey, I need, I need to do this. There's mm-hmm. never, and I mean, ne- there's never a time where I put myself in front of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as they communicate that they need it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's defaulting that they're helping. Yeah. That, Danica, that. So is that healthy? Is that a healthy management style? I think so. I think I look at, you know, I think um, if you're, if you're, you know, what ends up happening is you find human individuals there that they feel safe because they, if they want to go hard for three years to build up reputation mm-hmm. and then build their career off of it, they can. It, you know, I think they, if they, if they know they're safe, if you got their back, mm-hmm. yeah. they, you know, lack of fear is amazing. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very, very healthy for people that like freedom. Yeah. I think it's, concerning to some who bought too deep into the school system and need structure. Like if they may hear that from you and say, no, 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 no. I want to work nine to six and then, you know, and so I think it's the healthiest version. It's a relationship built on truth and trust yeah. uh, and practicality of the situation. Good. Is that like, like when I went through that, like, does that sound like, is that something you get excited about? Or you're like, no, that's cool for you, Gary, but this one variable with how I am would make it need to be this. I'm just curious. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You can't, um, it's almost like um, I can feel that if there were um, rules or um, responsibilities put in place that defied this freedom of like no hours thing, um, it would be confusing. Correct. If, you know, cause what, that's right. You nailed it. That's such a good job because if you got them on the books for 50 hours, but you want them to feel like there is no hours, what they're feeling from you is, Oh, you want me to work 71 hours. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, no, no, we're a crew. And mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, and mm-hmm. I'm here more for you than you for me because Oh, by the way, a million people want to be on team Gary B, but mm-hmm. I'm picking you. And I want you to win and nothing would make me happier than if you did this for four years and then you became, you know, P. Diddy's person. I don't care what, what, or you want to become the next Gary. Like you tell me what you want. I work for you. And then all of a sudden when you work for them, all those dreams of you wanting them to be like a family become a true reality because you're the one with leverage. So you're the one that actually has to create it. 
if you were to give someone that you hire a new directive, so this could, this could apply to the people that are giving this directive or the people that are even receiving it, just to be observant of whether or not the person that they're working for has this kind of style or even like comes in the same, you know, universe as, uh, as, as what you're going to say. But, you know, is there something that you lead off with every, anytime you hire somebody, is there a way to set, set it up for the best success beyond the circumstance itself with the right people in place that gets them in the mindset, like the Gary V mindset? What do you tell them? I tell them that I am only obsessed with reverse engineering them and putting them in a position to succeed because if they're happy and flourishing, all that trickle down collateral will come in what I'm trying to get out of them. Mm-hmm. So that I need them to communicate to me I need them to know that I won't fire them. I won't fire somebody else. They won't be scolded. I won't subconsciously make them my not favorite. Communicate. Mm-hmm. And I know you can't trust me right away, right away, but I will earn your trust. It's a very interesting game. They walk into my ethos and I'm spending the, the meaning, making them understand in the first year, I'm going to earn your trust. And I trust you from the second you walk in. It's quite the game being a boss. You, you know, it's, what's really fun is, you know, it's just my natural state. I'm not scared of somebody letting me down. It's like the Bronx tale. They just expose themselves. You know, there's that great what's scene. the biggest where, telltale sign? Um, oh, there's a million. You know, Which one a, pisses you off the most? Which one are you like, you? Someone, someone, someone that is, thinks they're tricking me and are being mean to everyone else. So they're being mean, but they're trying to play. They, think, they think they're delivering for me and they're making money or they're hiding it. And I'm happy because they're doing great. But meanwhile, everybody underneath them hates them. And they actually think it's working because I haven't fired them yet. And the reason I haven't is because I'm crossing my T's and I's because my companies are in London, New York, and LA. And I have litigation and lawsuits. And, you know, I just want to make sure we do this properly. But guess what, Sally, you're going. Because if you're not kind and nice to others and you're letting your insecurity manifest, you're in deep shit with me. That is that fear and love that I, I love. I love that, right? You're in deep shit, but I love the shit out of you and I'm going to treat you. I'm going to earn your respect this year. I've already given it to you on the front end. That's that beautiful. Even when, even when I fire that manipulator, it ends with, hey, on the flip side, you have some great talents and I know you're only doing this because you're hurting inside. Let me help you with your next chapter. I'll co-sign you. I'll put, you know, I'll help you. Maybe a lot of these people tend to need to start their own businesses because they're not good teammates, but they're good nomads. So there's just a lot of things like that. Mm. I don't get the feeling like you, other than Michael Jordan and Tom Brady, I get <laughs> the feeling like you don't hate anybody. Not a, I hate people that are advocates of hate um, and sell fear and other than because and try to hurt people. But to your point, in like real life, not ideological like conversation, I really struggle to hate people. It's it just, it's a complete waste of time. Um, I always like to ask people what their greatest life lesson's been. And I know that you started off with, you know, a pretty, a pretty, uh, I, a pretty, I've got one. pretty good got situation, one. but. No, but I, I've got one. I have such gift the gab that in my early years, I was so like poor. I would, I was a hustling kid. Like I was willing to do whatever it took for the buck, you know, like. You know, I would tell my friends, buy this card. He's going to be a great player, even though I didn't believe it. I had it in me. And my dad, this is where my dad gets his big, you know, injection on my story. 
My dad's got a lot of shortcomings that I don't appreciate, I don't agree with from a people standpoint, but I got to change him over our 20 years together in the store. But he changed me. He said, your word is bond. And I was scared of my dad at 14. And he, he basically scared the bullshit out of me. Hmm. And, it, and honestly, Danica, I, I would argue it might've been the most important component because I was gifted with all the other stuff. Had I seen that part through, you know, I, I'm aware that some people when they first see me on social and things of that nature, like this guy's full of shit. Like, cause I've got that kind of like, I get it. Um, it's either love or hate right away. Like it's, I do not tend to get neutral when people see their first video, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and I always think back to, is that because in a lot of ways that was there and oh my God, thank God as a child, I was able to be put on the straight and straight, which is like, do not use your gift for bad. It's not what my dad meant. He just hates lying. And so, um, but it really helped me. Boy, when I, I, again, my second kind of emotional moment, like, fuck man, if he wasn't in my life and didn't really, if I didn't, you know, it's your dad, right? And like, like, I don't, I think I wouldn't be where I am today in the same capacity because I would have had some of the shortcomings that come along with a great gift of gab person, which leads to bullshit, which leads to less upside. I don't think I would be admired as much I don't think I'd be as happy as much. I don't think I'd be happy with myself as much. And I think that's the punchline. So I think that was the greatest lesson because that was actual lesson. Delivered in a very simple way. It was a two minute conversation. Um, And it it changed my life in hindsight. It's beautiful. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.